This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Morning, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Sunday. It is going to be a great day on the podcast today. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Welcome to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. Can you dig it? I can. Okay, here we go. So, two weeks ago, we kicked off another series on the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, the Critical Gender series, which is going to be taking a look at gender and all it contains and the weird shit that's going on around it. I... Enjoyed the first one a lot. I really liked the first one a lot. I thought it was going to be, I told you guys in my state address a couple weeks ago in December that I was going to be starting off with some of the most transgressive material that I ever had. And I think the first one lived up to that. And I'm very, very proud of that because it talked about things that I don't think a lot of people are willing to talk about in terms of women, in terms of, you know, femininity, in terms of all that other stuff. But I am also fair. I pride myself on being an equal opportunity person in terms of opportunity in general, in terms of roasting, in terms of, you know, an unknown blogger like myself, you know, taking pot shots at gender stereotypes or whatever. So this week, I am going to be turning inward towards my own gender, towards men. And I find this topic to be very interesting, mostly because I am a man, and I'm noticing a lot of trends around this now. I've blogged about this a couple times in the past, and I really just kind of want to dig more into this. And I think this is going to be a really, really interesting take on this. I'd be really interested to hear feedback from both men and women, of course, on kind of how this stuff plays out into actuality. So I'm just going to get right into it, and I'm super excited, and here we go. So, see, I told you, never say I'm not an advocate for gender equality. Before I flew home, before the week of Thanksgiving, I went to a happy hour with my sales team. It was the first large-scale event we were able to have. Texas, being part of Free America, was happy to oblige. The local brewery we went to was packed with people, mostly a lot of other teams celebrating happy hours. It was a glorious, warm, and well-lit evening. This is going to be the biggest get-together we had ever had as a team. And there are nine people on my team, and not including my manager, so ten of us total. And all of them but one, who couldn't make it, showed up, as did my manager. My team is also heavily skewed towards men, so much so that, believe it or not, the only person that didn't come happened to be the only other girl on my team. It was an unexpected guy's night, which is fine from all of us. We were out here to have a good time and to finally meet one another for the first time ever in a lot of cases. The evening started off simply enough. We got drinks, exchanged the COVID mandatory, oh, fuck, this is how you tall you are on not, when you're not on Zoom awkwardness, and began to break each other down with meaningless and pointless conversation, per usual. It was nice. 
I had been working my ass off, as had a lot of other people on my team. Not only that, I was in a full sprint to complete the projects that I mentioned in my state address that I had finally finished up. I was exhausted, and a drink out with people from work was supposed to be really nice. As mentioned, particularly in the last post before, the majority of my friends are women. I've long wondered why this was the case. I'm sexually attracted to women, so it's not that. I'm not a very effeminate person, so it's not that. I don't think I'm terribly ugly, so I don't think it's that either. I think that women mature faster than men do, so it might have something to do with that. But regardless, I don't think I've, quote, failed to get along with men in my life. I've played team sports, gone out to bars specifically to pick up women with other men, and have an overall masculine temperament. I do, however, hold men to a very high standard. I think there are ways in which men should conduct themselves. Gender is a fact, remember? That means that, given our gender, men need to have a certain way in order to conduct themselves. Should every man be the same? Certainly not. That would be boring. But I do think that masculinity, much like femininity, is a virtue. It should be embodied more often than not. We should not succumb to barbification, but we shouldn't be all over the place either. This stems from, like many things that we all have, a relationship with the top, from the top down with the men in my family. The people that I look to for models in my life have always been my parents and my grandparents on my dad's side. I marveled at their relationships. More specifically, I marveled on how the men in those relationships acted, my dad and my, 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 dad and my grandfather. They're who I strive to be when I think of masculinity. Not positive masculinity, because that term doesn't exist. Masculinity is a neutral thing. So, when it comes to masculinity, they're the two I always look to. Whenever I, or anyone else, fall short of that, I tend to judge myself, and them, for it. I shouldn't do this in all circumstances, but I can't always help myself either. If women, as I posited in the first volume of my Critical Gender series, have succumbed to barbification by the way of an incredibly toxic brand of conformity, I would also posit that men have done something similar. It's not carbon copied, there is some differentiation, but it's not like they all act, look, and talk the same. It's in that way that disturbs me. Or it's in the way that disturbs me. Sales is a brutal business to be in. No matter what you sell or how you sell it, it can be a very tough existence for a lot of people. Most don't have the stomach for it. I'm not saying that my team or certainly myself is some kind of elevated human being for being in it. But when someone gives an honest effort to trying something hard, I think it's a good thing to compliment them for trying. Not a lot of people do hard things. However, this leads to a necessary amount of bitching and moaning throughout our organization. It's a necessary stress relief that comes from doing our hard job a lot of the time. Particularly in a virtual environment where there aren't ping pong tables and Starbucks kiosks, sometimes your only method of escape can be through carpet bombing your Zoom neighbor with how much your job sucks its own dick. I've done it more times than I can count, even though I do like my job more often than not. Men are especially guilty of doing this. I get surprised when someone doesn't average one fuck per minute. But at the happy hour, I was surprised at how much some of the men on my team acted like women. It wasn't their mannerisms, but in their words. The level of drama and gossip at the table was incredibly high. No testosterone flowed through their lips. And, apparently, none of that was their fault. They complained about everything. They didn't take responsibility for anything. They had been, quote, wronged and, quote, misguided. One went so far as to call out my manager, who was sitting a mere four feet away from him, by the way, for ruining a deal that he had. He actually had the stupidity within him to say that his manager ruined his deal that was in his territory at one of his accounts. 
It wasn't his fault, you see. Our manager had messed something up for him. He could do no wrong. He was never to blame. It was always someone else. This is not to say that everyone at the table did this. I have a couple of guys on the team, and the woman who was missing also, that are exceptional people, and exceptional gentlemen in this case. They carry themselves like men. They shut up, put their heads down, make fun occasionally about how much their job can sometimes suck its own dick and go to work. But an uncomfortable number, about half of them, didn't do this. And I found this to be incredibly disappointing, particularly considering the high standards I have of men whom I associate with. When I got home that evening, I began to ask myself a question I had been pondering for a long time. Why are men acting like this? Not just these men, but all men, it seems. All throughout college, there had been a trend that I had noticed. The women were more impressive. They wanted to do better on exams. They wanted to be better in general. I specifically avoided doing work with men because I knew they didn't give as much of a fuck about it as I did. There were exceptions, of course, but they were just that. Exceptions. They were not the rule. I've noticed this trend continuing in younger generations as well. Whenever I lifeguarded at my pool and taught swim lessons, the girls were always the faster learners. They had more discipline. They overall behaved better. Part of the reason is due to the fact that young boys are basically shot up with liquid pop rocks for a majority of the day, which is a natural thing. But as they grow older and became teenagers, they didn't mature. They weren't unlike the Lost Boys in Peter Pan. They did just that. They stayed boys. They were living in Neverland. I was always raised, in particular by my dad and grandpa, while being supported by my mom and grandma in this regard, in the direct inverse. I was raised to be tough, to be responsible, to help people, to be someone who people lean on, not who leans on other people. In a lot of ways, this was taken too far. I developed and am still coping with a fearsome independence streak. I don't have the humbleness to ask for help when I need it. I don't show anyone my cards. I take too much, way too much on myself. It's a subtle form of narcissism that I have yet to shed. But it still is, at its core, what masculinity should be. So, as I aged and went through different phases of my life, I was stunned to realize the attitude was so different. More so, I began to notice that I began to absorb the world around me that this methodology wasn't just common, but encouraged. And my method, as well as those men who I respected and that of my family, was actively discouraged. In fact, it was often attacked. I was dumbfounded by this. Why was the world actually like this? Why was I not? How could I have been so wrong? How could my family have been so wrong? But over time, I discovered that I don't think that I am. I think there's a lot of evidence to prove that, most specifically history. Men have provided a great deal to the current state of the world, contrary to what you might hear otherwise. As we have discussed prior, masculinity is not, quote, toxic. It's an inherently neutral world. It's a word, I should say. It's right there in the definition. The, quote, state and quality of being a man. And for the longest time, quote, being a man did not involve blaming someone else for you not closing deals for you, who has a stake in you closing deals, by the way, and complaining about everything in your life from how people call you toxic for being a man and how companies hire women who don't, uh, how companies hire to how women don't want to fuck you. It's pathetic and it needs to stop. But it's not stopping. The overall state of men is not great. Actually, it's in rapid decline. That's something that our expert and ruling class and the mob that supports them don't want you to know either. 
You can see these trends and patterns everywhere if you're willing to look for them. The Wall Street Journal ran a piece recently about the now 20% gap that women have over men in college. The amount of men that are addicted to opiates or other mind-numbing chemical substances like pornography are going up in large numbers. Our overall life expectancy is going down. A lot of that is because we kill ourselves more often than women do. As mentioned before, women are much more impressive than men in this current state of America in aggregate. We have enough problems as men. So, a question must be asked. Why are we willingly giving ourselves more of them? Giving up responsibility for doing hard things, the thing that men are put on this earth to do, is giving up our power within the world. This is not a wise decision to make. We're quite literally eroding our gender because of it. This is a bold claim to make, but I think that a lot of the problems that are coming from it can be traced back to that specific genesis. Men don't stick up for themselves. We're wusses, and we're pussies. We don't stand up for our masculinity, so it's only natural that people have infected it and attempted to seize it from us. That's what happens when you don't protect something. It only makes that much, it that much easier for the barbarians to force themselves in. We've been lied to. We've been willing participants in our own castration. Contrary to what people with malicious motives might tell you, a world without men is not good. It's finally time to explain why that is. First, we have to look at what attracts men to consciously and subconsciously remove their own masculinity. Next, we need to look at the actions they take in order to do so. Finally, we see where it gets men and our society afterwards. And just to have a disclaimer here, no balls were actually cut off during the making of this post, hopefully, by the way. Hopefully we haven't gotten that far yet. Part 1. The Lure Over a year and a half ago, I can't believe how far I'm dating myself now, this shit's crazy, I wrote a post on men's mental health. It was called, of course, Mental Health. I'm still very proud of it. It's one of the best pieces I've written since I started this blog back in January of 2020, over two years ago now. It's one of the few I've looked at in its totality out of everything I've ever written. That specific post centered around the destruction of men's mental health and why it was so difficult to analyze. Men, contrary to women, aren't treated with very much sympathy when it comes to mental health problems. This is understandable. Especially in younger generations, women are more prone to men at, quote, actual anxiety and depression disorders, much like men are prone to being diagnosed with a hyperactivity disorder in the inverse. Whenever men start talking about how they're feeling sad, people start to look at them weird. Men don't like being vulnerable because it makes us feel weak. Women, by the nature of their biology, don't have that problem. Men do. But I would argue that it's a good problem for men to have. Why? Well, because it's one of the markers that differentiates us from women and gives us our masculinity. For the bulk of human history, men couldn't be vulnerable. It would have gotten their leg blown off by a landmine or killed by a saber-toothed tiger, clubbed to death by a warring tribesman. We can never let our guards down because we had to protect and provide for those who had to do other things to help our communities. Recently, however, this problem has begun to be stripped away from men. We're now told by everyone that men have to be more vulnerable, that we have to be, quote, more emotionally expressive or, quote, open with our feelings and thoughts. We have to speak, quote, our truth. We have been told that the old version has become outdated. In many ways, it has. 
there are no saber-toothed tigers at your local zoo, in case you weren't aware. But there's an interesting counter-trend that has happened as well. Have you noticed that women have been guided in this direction also? Women, due to mostly good things like feminism in the 1970s and the war effort in the 1940s, well, not the people dying part, but the, the economic uh, improvement part, began to infiltrate the workforce. Some of them became the breadwinners of their family. The roles began to switch. In the first section of mental health, I asked you to, or mental health, I should say, I asked all of you, hopefully listeners and readers, a question. If you had to name a single trend that has been the biggest influence on society in recent memory, what would it be? It's a tough question. It probably has a million different answers, most of them with at least some shred of legitimacy to them. It's hard to pin something down in such a diverse and ever-changing landscape that now categorizes much of modern America. My answer to that question was the overall relaxation of society from formerly normal norms. In a lot of cases, this was a good thing. Gay people were allowed to be gay. Black people were given fully legitimate rights as citizens. And for the purpose of this discussion, more women got to pursue a career and be elevated within the societal hierarchy. And these are all good things. But something interesting also happened to women. They could go into the workplace if they wanted to, but they also could still do what women had been traditionally doing for a long time. They could still be stay-at-home moms. They could still be homemakers. They could do with what they could do what quote traditional women did. There was no societal outrage at women for wanting to pick her kids up from school and play bridge with Luis from down the street. This is a key element to point out here. For men, one societal door opened while another closed. We had to abandon our old mold of masculinity, the one that had served us for thousands of years, and suddenly fit a new and very unfamiliar one. Women, by contrast, had their choice of both. We got gypped. Or did we? Let's ask another question. Why did women get both while we got the shaft? The answer? Because women had the ovaries to do so. They simply demanded they wanted other options. They had a plan of action. They stood up for themselves. And guess what? They eventually got what they deserved, because they should. If someone can do something and go about getting it the right way, they by all means should get it. It doesn't matter if it's a job, a romantic partner, a house, whatever. Contrary to what some lunatics might tell you, obtaining things on the basis of merit is not a bad thing. Men, however, have chosen a different route. We chose the route of weakness. We chose the route of cowardice, of impotence. Men, overall in society, started to and have become incredibly emotionally fragile and weak. Society as a whole has gotten this way, but men, as the historical allocators of toughness in society, have led the charge based on the simple fact that we held most of the toughness capital in the entire world. Think of it in terms of business. If some crazed person were to shoot a nuclear missile into Silicon Valley, our economy would take a severe hit. Why? Because, especially during the beer virus era, our economy has an overwhelmingly concentration of wealth into the technology space. We're not a manufacturing nation. Our two main values added to the world are entrepreneurs and technology. If we were to take out those two, our economy would suffer greatly. Men are the same way. Things in society such as fortitude and toughness are male-dominated traits. So, when society shuns them, men disproportionately suffer. That's not an opinion. That's math. 
Men are feeling the heat. We feel the walls closing in. There is nowhere for us to go. There is no one that wants, to, wants what we have to offer the world. We are being forced through a door because we were too weak to hold our old door open for other men, ourselves included, to follow. This has given us no control over our present situation in the slightest. So what do people do when they feel out of control, you might ask? What does anything do when it's afraid? When it feels a threat? The answer is that it lashes out. It resorts to the lowest of all human instincts. Self-preservation. Survival is at the base of our all of our spinal cords. is the one thing that we must perfect in order to do everything else. We're all just high-end Neanderthals in actuality. None of the shit that we actually do actually matters if we don't have a priority within our own consciousness to survive first. That's not opinion. That's biology. And that is the lure. That is why men purposefully shed their own masculinity. We just want to survive. We're feeling pressure from all angles of society to conform. We are shamed and thrown into categories that are immensely unfavorable if we don't. So the easiest way to combat this is simple, like the solution of barbification for women. Go along. Who really cares, right? It's just a couple things. Why shouldn't men cry? Why shouldn't you tell people the truth as you see it? Why shouldn't you take three months of paternity leave? What are you, some kind of weird, stuck-in, 1950s-style bigot or something? Well, no, as it turns out in most cases. Most men are not like this. But all of these men are afraid of being one. Even though cancel culture isn't real because no one can, quote, cancel you if you don't let them, men feel afraid because they feel the fear of societal consequences of being labeled one of those things. Maybe they're afraid that women won't fuck them, that people will stop including them in Outlook invites for happy hours, that people will view them as weird. And the reality is some people will. That's just life. People think things about other people. You think things about others as well. This is normal. But when people begin to think that the whole world is out to get them, they will resort to drastic measures in order to survive the fire. Survival is the cure. All to cancellation, mobbing on social media, social ostracization, and anything that is involved between any of them. Survival from these things is the lure that coaxes men into the great lie and trap of self-castration. The way that men are doing this in the modern era is by stripping what has been attacked. Their masculinity. There is a fish in the ocean called the cuttlefish. It's pictured at the top of the post. Again, don't read this blog.com. The cuttlefish is an interesting animal to study in nature simply because of their relationship between the genders. Male cuttlefish can adjust themselves to blend in with female cuttlefish. They look like them, swim like them, etc. They do this in order to have a better chance of mating with the women which oftentimes happens. But think about what the male cuttlefish has to sacrifice. The male cuttlefish has to sacrifice being male. It has to sacrifice its differences between the females to, in order to gain access to that female. They think that this will elevate them in the social hierarchy. But they are wrong. This only confirms what the malicious people behind the actual castration movement are trying to do. Paint men as weaklings and as the problem. They want to rid the world of men and what they do within it. But they are not without help. And their biggest helper are men themselves.
Part two, the trap. A lot of things changed when I moved to Boston in June of 2020. The world was changing, obviously. I moved the week of the George Floyd protests and the riots. There were broken windows and looted shops in the Back Bay neighborhood. A cop stopped me on the way in because they were expecting malicious opportunists to come tear up the city. COVID would set its peak. In the Northeast, you could hardly do anything at all, and you still can in some places. A lot of things were changing with myself also. I was taking a major leap outside of my comfort zone. I never lived outside of two hours from my parents. I was now going to be more than 12. I had never paid bills without help from my parents. I was now going to have to self-finance my entire life. The jump-off point from college student to full-fledged adult was a daunting task, much more so within the confines of the COVID hysteria and the seeming unending society in which we lived. I was in fight-or-flight mode. I, like many others, were just looking to keep my head above water. I, above many others, was just looking to survive. Thankfully, I was able to make a solid base of friends decently quickly due to my work. I didn't totally nuke my finances by making bad decisions right out of the gate. Even though Boston was expensive, I was still able to manage. That part of survival really didn't come at a problem to me. My work was the same way. I was able to adapt quickly and build up a repertoire for myself as someone who could get their work done on time and to the proper degree of effectiveness. I kept up with my reading. I kept blogging. I kept writing. All, on that front, was well. But something wasn't clicking right for me. Women on the East Coast were different. Mostly, they were very progressive and in touch with social issues. This did not necessarily define me, but I was familiar with both. They just weren't two of the things that I valued highly. I just didn't care enough to do so. However, this eventually began to wear on me. When you're young and in Boston, thinking a certain way is advantageous to you. It allows you to assimilate better. Every region of America is like this when you think about it. Every area of life is like this when you think about it. You have to adapt to a degree in order to conform to your new surroundings. You have to be able to become something else in order to become relatable to other people. If you don't, odds are you'll just end up being one of the many forgotten people who couldn't use adaptation properly to interact in your new world. This is a necessary skill. I was one of those people. I'm an incredibly stubborn person. I didn't want to blab about shit that didn't mean anything to me. I was aware of those things too, but as mentioned before in our post on awareness, I didn't want to be too aware of these things. I had my own issues and my own shit to worry about. Like I said, I was going through a lot of change. I only wanted to focus on how to deal with that, not take on anything else that could take my energy away. That way of thinking when I moved to Boston began to become very apparent with me in terms of women. The women of Boston wanted their men to act a certain way. If they didn't, they didn't want to match with, I, they didn't want to match with me. This is a unique style of barbification in action. They all began to conform to the same type of ideals and what they wanted in men, even if they didn't believe it to be true themselves. It only mattered that they put up a front to mean it so. I talked to a lot of my guy friends about the scenario who are also living in this type of climate, and they said the same thing, particularly with those who agreed with the way I thought about certain things. Their matches went down. Women didn't seem interested in talking to them. The amount of times I got attacked for saying things by these barbified women went way up. In reality, what they were saying and what I was saying wasn't anything too extreme, and what these men were saying wasn't too extreme. 
Maybe they like capitalism or didn't state their sexual preference or voted Trump or something. These are just opinions. Nothing more, nothing less. They're no less dangerous than saying that you don't think capitalism is all that great, did state your sexual preference, or would have preferred Joe Biden to win the presidency in 2020. But in the weird and wild virtual world in which we live, these things do matter. They do affect your chances with women, friends, and success in social circles. So what is there to do when you realize this new reality? You act like a cuttlefish. You adapt. I suddenly began to partake in bizarre behavior. I labeled myself a cisgender man on Hinge. Whenever I would message women, I would say that I was a, quote, ally to them. I began to hide who I really was. I became an imaginary person. I was nothing more than a character, one whom I thought that women would like because I took away the, quote, bad parts of masculinity and exchanged them for things that I thought that I would like or that they would like. I purposefully chipped away at myself for months at a time, mercilessly wearing myself down to until I was nothing more than a nub. I just wanted respect. I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to survive. But something very interesting happened instead. I thought that by doing this, I would gain respect. By becoming the people version of a cuttlefish, I could be able to blend in more with them and eventually become enough like them that they would want to fuck me. But this, obviously, and completely, failed miserably. Because it turns out, you see, that the lure of self-castration is a lie. It's a trap, to quote Admiral Akbar. And worst of all, it's a trap that is sprung by the actions of men themselves. We ourselves are responsible. We should know that it is both a counterproductive and stupid to ever engage in something like this. Why on earth should we be ashamed of an immutable characteristic that we can't change? Why not be proud of it? Just because some things in society can make you out to be ashamed doesn't mean that you have to go along with the shaming. A certain amount of spine is needed in order to persist in a world that does not want men to be men. And unfortunately for men, we're not only allowing it to happen, but we're making it easier. Instead of developing spines, we're ripping out our own. Because as it turns out, two things happen to be true about these scenarios with women. First, women don't respect it. It turns out that they are engaging in this conversation, most likely, because they are attracted to men. When you don't act masculine, this understandably turns them off. Second, and following this, women don't want to admit an unfortunate truth. Women love, quote, toxic masculinity. The reason is that masculinity is not toxic. It's a neutral thing. Women, particularly the very feminine and usually the very anti-quote toxic masculinity ones, like masculine men. They don't like it when men act like women. They find it a huge turnoff most of the time. They want you to take charge. They want you to be who you are. They want you to be a man. They don't want you to be some kind of chauvinistic lunatic, but they want you to be these things. Masculinity, you'll find out, is only, quote, toxic when it suits them. However, when it comes to the bedroom, the restaurant, or anywhere else, it would be a lie to say that these same women wouldn't want some of that good old toxic masculinity in their lives. It's a shame that so many men do not realize this. We're duped into giving up our power as men because we think that it will grant us something else. But, sadly, that, quote, something else doesn't exist. It never has, and it never will. Masculinity is a necessary thing for the functionality of our society, much like femininity is. But sadly, men are too weak to notice this. They think that it is the subversion of their masculinity that will grant them providence to women in their dreams. 
but they are wrong. Masculinity embodies many great things in men. Stoicism, mental and physical toughness, respect, honor, camaraderie, etc. These great things all go away, and in greater quantities, when men deliberately begin the process of self-castration. In order to conform to this new, quote, ideal, much like the theory of barbification in terms of women, men trade these admirable traditionally masculine traits for lackadaisical and lesser values. What used to be steadfast, stoic, and dominant is now fragile, over-emotional, and weak. Another question. What happens when this happens? When more fragility, emotional instability, and weakness enter society in mass quantities? Well, bad things, that's what. The absence of, quote, toxic masculinity eventually leads to something that is much worse and much more real. Toxic immaturity. Since it's been a while, let's revisit that discussion as well. Toxic immaturity is different from toxic masculinity, if you remember. The first is real, the second one is not. Toxic immaturity is real because immaturity in mass quantities is a net negative for society. Boys are different from men, if you weren't aware. One can bear responsibility, the other cannot. One can handle the rigors of the world, the other cannot. If 50% of the population is immature, that is not a good sign. Therefore, massive immaturity on the part of men definitely qualifies as, quote, toxic. Masculinity and immaturity are direct inverses to one another. They cannot coexist. A boy can, and hopefully will, evolve into a man. But a man cannot be a boy, and a boy cannot be a man. But immaturity looks different in a man than it does in a boy. Boys usually just make fart jokes and tell each other what color their shit is in the morning. Immaturity in men, the inability to deal with the consequences of the real world, has much different and much worse consequences. And, in stark contrast to those who say the opposite, men not acting masculine disproportionately affects women and children in the most negative ways. In days past, when masculinity was embodied and protected by men, in many ways women were treated better. Obviously, there were exceptions to this. You've ever seen Mad Men before, you've noticed this. Beating your wife, cheating on your wife, treating her like dog shit, etc. is not a good way to go. But there were also a lot of good things that happened back in the day, contrary to what people would have you believe. This thing called chivalry was the thing. Men held doors open for women. We stood up for the weak. We had honor and respect and dignity about ourselves and our families. We held firm to our values. We did all the good things that masculinity embodied on a regular basis. We were, indeed, men. After we decided to cut our balls off, however, we lost all of those traits, too. A little-known but awful statistic about the beer virus pandemic is that the reports of abuse from men towards women has climbed at a pretty frightening pace. You didn't hear often of men punching women in the face while trying to get on a subway. Only an unmasculine man would deliberately physically assault a woman, someone who knows that is weaker than him from that perspective. Because only weak people target weak people. That chivalry thing is gone too. Men don't want to mature enough to do what evolutionary biology tells us to and commit to a relationship. They'd rather fuck anything that looked at them non-sexually for 15 minutes while drunk on mojitos at the dive bar of their choosing. They'd demean and belittle them as, quote, bitches and hoes with no reason other than they didn't want to be a bitch and a hoe by sleeping with them. It's not just that women are feeling the heat. Think back to my happy hour story. Or it's not just women, rather, that are feeling the heat. Think back to my happy hour story. 
Men don't want to take ownership and responsibility over anything anymore. Most of them, particularly of that demographic, are weak and pathetic pussies. They don't want to do anything to fix their own shit, so they dump their shit onto other people so that they can make themselves feel better. They mercilessly pummel others for their mistakes while explaining none of their own. The blame is always outward and never inward. No man who had an ounce of self-respect would dare to do this. The decline of male maturity is a disaster for the overall welfare of society. When society loses a majority of its backbones, the things that tend to hold it together fall apart. Cancel culture, even though it's not real, is a direct cause of this. Our political divide is a direct cause to this. Unaccountable bureaucracy, business, and leadership is a direct cause to this. It is all a direct derivative of men failing to be men. When men trade masculinity for immaturity in the form of emotional incompetence and frivolous desires, our world as a whole becomes a much worse off place. I want to reiterate that women certainly can embody these traits as well. Many brave women have stepped up throughout history and have taken on tremendous responsibility at remarkable risk. But what I am saying is that men are drastically failing at their part in the equation. It is our burden to bear as well, and I think that I make a solid argument that we should bear the brunt of it. The shrinking of this responsibility is harming everyone. The majority of this harm falls, obviously, on those who are committing the offense. Men. It's only the beginning when men become unmanly. It's only the beginning when a man openly declares himself a feminist, or puts his pronouns in his bio, or begins advocating for causes that do not affect him or really don't mean that much to him in the first place. These are all ridiculous things that only take place because of the men caving to the ridiculous movements that support these things. This leads to the end game. The end game is the value of masculinity declining, and declining steeply. Because not only are men forsaking masculinity in the act of self-castration, men are actively opening the door for us to be replaced entirely. Part 3. The Desolation One of the few people that have accurately pointed out this trend is Jordan Peterson. He's the only act and person that I can come up with off the top of my head that has accurately described and tended to this process of declining masculinity. He views it as a serious problem, and is frustrated by both no one talking about it and people slamming men that try to cater to these people. Is there anything wrong with talking to men? He proposed it on Joe Rogan's podcast. Hint, there's nothing with, wrong with that, by the way. But of all the times that Dr. Peterson has been confronted with the subject, the only time that has ever truly stuck with, struck me is in, been in one clip. I don't know where it's from. It's a simple interview, just him and a women, woman sitting in chairs facing one another. He looks tired. The, interviews him asking, the interviewer asks him about talking to men and catering to their unique struggle. He smiles lightly and nods his fervent nod. The, interview, the interviewer then lets him know that, he's encouraging, that, he, that he is encouraging men that it is, quote, okay to be a man. And suddenly, Peterson snaps into place like he's experiencing the kick in Inception. His eyes sharpen up. His brain whirs into full tilt. In a rare moment of exasperation and through veiled tears, he snaps at the question, 
Quote, it's not okay. It's necessary. Peterson then proceeds to precisely word vomit out the necessity of masculinity. Quote, what the hell would we do without men, he proclaims. Men built the world. They built the bridges, the buildings, the cities. They toil out in the fields and sweat in the mills. They are the providers and the protectors. They are a bedrock of the family unit. What is left if they aren't attended to? What is left if men are continuously left behind? There is a lot of talk in recent years, in a continuation of the broadest trend that I mentioned earlier, of the sacrifice that women make when they have children. It forces a lot of women to kneecap their career to help raise those children while the men go out and work. Sometimes it is this way, or sometimes it is not this way, excuse me, but most of the time throughout the landscape of human ex- the human experience, it has been. It's an unfair burden, particularly if women want to have a career and go out and prove their value in the workplace. I think everyone, regardless of what they think about this issue, can acknowledge this at least in part. But my question is, why don't we do the same about men? Men, to the contrary of many of the narratives currently out in our society, have an equal burden and trade-off they have to make. Women have to sacrifice their career, most likely, if they want to succumb to the feminine role of motherhood. Men, by contrast, have throughout human history have had to do something else. They've had to break their backs. Men, for as long as there have been humans alive, have had to break their backs with grueling and hard manual labor. This, to Peterson's point, is necessary. Think about it. When was the last time you've seen a construction crew laying slabs of concrete that has been mostly composed of women? How about fixing a telephone line, laying drywall, landscaping some rich guy's yard? The answer, probably never. There is an equal but opposite effect that takes place here. Women have to take a step back. Men have to take a step up. It's equally unfair that women don't get the opportunity to go into the workforce when embracing their femininity in comparison with men who have to go all in to provide because of their masculinity. This is physics. It's Newton's law. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's untrue in hitting a baseball or operating a hydraulic press as in sacrificing the rest of your life to tear your body to shreds operating a CNC machine for 40 plus years. Some people may be pushing back on this in their heads. Sam, no one operates a CNC machine anymore. I don't know a single person who does that work. You're talking way out of your head here. Most men work in offices. They have cushy jobs. They don't have to get their hands dirty. There's been, like, industrialization and technological advancement stuff. Well, what I would say to that is that you're absolutely right. And that's exactly the problem. This type of labor never gets done anymore. A lot of it was outsourced by horrible economic and foreign policy to countries like China and Indonesia. The jobs that left are mostly populated by older members of the male workforce. These jobs are mostly concentrated in the middle of the country. You hardly find a local woodshop in downtown Seattle. The young men of America generally skew away from those jobs, except if they fall into one of those demographics, with men being, quote, better educated, and take that phrase for what you were, than they were when these jobs were plentiful. That number has shrunk considerably. Okay, so we said all this, so what does it matter? And I'd ask you to think about that question personally. Ask yourself, how many modern young men would you feel comfortable asking to help fix your car, change your oil, help paint a fence? do common yard work. Probably not a lot of them, either. 
You won't see many of the current young men in America, like the young men in my happy hour, operating a CNC machine. If you ask them, I don't think they'd even know what the acronym stands for. It's computer numerical control, by the way. There's something else for that, they say. I'll just pay someone to do it, they say. Some guy in Guatemala can do it, and for cheap, too. Some old guy down the street who's about to keel over can as well. He fixes everyone's stuff. He can do this for me, too. That's what TaskRabbit is for, you idiot. Why should I have been skilled when I have all these skills that I need in my pocket? This is a reasonable enough counter-argument. You could do these things. That's what they were invented for in the first place. I have nothing against people wanting to create an app so people can outsource things they don't want to do. I'm all for the economic exchange of quality goods and services. You could, quote, pay people for these things, sure. But there is a deeper problem, and it's a question that we don't know how to answer. It's one we can't, quote, pay for. What are we going to do when we can't? According to Zipia and other studies, the average age of a skilled tradesman is a whopping 46 years old. That means that, in about 20 years, the majority of our skilled tradesmen are going to fall off a fucking cliff into retirement. That Guatemalan guy will probably have his own shop then, and charge higher prices. The old guy down the street will be dead. So a lot of the older men that did these jobs. 20 years is a long time, but in reality, it's really not that far away at all. We're running out of time. A lot of experts in studying the labor markets have predicted a massive drop-off and shortage of skilled tradesmen in the coming years, particularly when it comes to professions like electricians. You may not notice how unimpressive men are invoking their nat natural masculinity now, but you're sure as hell going to notice it when your lights don't come on. You'll notice when you can't, quote, call someone to fix your toilet. Throughout the process of self-castration, men have effectively cut themselves off from evoking their masculinity in the world. The things that make us men are rapidly disappearing. And all of this is entirely our fault. We didn't put a stop to it, so why should we be surprised when it takes a shit all over our world? Combined with the broadest trend, this is an incredibly toxic combination. There's something else that's worth noting, too. With men forcibly removing their own masculinity, a giant gap has been formed. Masculinity, in combination with the broadest trend, has not evolved to the changing landscape of our world. It's completely stopped entirely. So, when men become outdated and useless, there's only one other option to fill in the gap and pick up the slack. Women. Women now do commentary for NFL games. We celebrate a kicker from Vanderbilt doing an otherwise atrocious kickoff because she's at least doing something different than the men. More and more women are going into fields of skilled trades. Barriers being broken down, remember? Law and medical schools, once dominated by men, are now dominated by women. The male identity in the workplace and in the broader culture has been effectively castrated and feminized. Men have, unbelievably, priced themselves out of their own market. But when you look at it, this shouldn't come as much of a shock. The reason? Put bluntly and simply, men have devalued themselves. Our masculinity isn't valuable to us anymore. Other things are much more important to us now, like simping for women on dating apps. Women, being like any person who wants to take advantage of an opportunity, have taken over the masculine niche. The same cannot be said in the inverse for women. The data simply doesn't support it, as mentioned earlier. Where women have thrived, men have fallen off a cliff. Women are expanding and growing. Men are disappearing and shrinking. 
Men have intentionally and purposefully taken away our own purposes. We may not have started the trend, but we certainly have finished it. Due to us being incredibly cowardly and incredibly weak, due to us not standing up for ourselves and our masculinity or even our own gender, we have been castrated. Society as a whole is going to pay a massive price for this. It already is now. Just take these trends and extrapolate them to your own life. You'll see it all around you. If you're honest, you won't be able to avoid it. I suggest that you don't. It's not wise to hide things in the fog. That's the rule, new rule number three, by the way, in our last reference to Jordan Peterson here. In the times of the Roman Empire, there was a hard and fast rule surrounding how they conquered neighboring empires and destroyed opposing forces. Whenever the legionnaires would take a city, the Roman soldiers would slaughter all of the men. The Romans were smart in doing this. Without men, without masculinity, a society would falter incredibly easily and incredibly quickly. Women, as mentioned previously, can and have been strong. They have fought for many good things. But taking away half of the society, and one that actually does the fighting in this case, is not a good thing at all. Removing femininity from society would be just as catastrophic as removing masculinity from society. This is the topic of the next post, if you couldn't tell by this point, but it's worth mentioning here also. What I find most troubling about all of this is the celebratory nature of it. Not only are people revoking masculinity and all of its virtues in stunning numbers, but they're actively encouraging it also. The worst offenders of this, the ones that make it truly, truly sickening for me to process, are the men that are doing this. I loathe them. I despise how they piss on their own graves that they dug for themselves. I despise how they're so blissfully ignorant to the fact that they've cannibalized their own gender in the same way that women have through barbification. I'm disgusted that they can't see that, even though the Romans are long dead, the barbarians are still at the gate. We should pray that they're merciful. Masculinity is in a crisis. However, it is not a crisis of malice. It is a crisis of men not wanting to be men. The virtues of masculinity are being trodden upon, and men are doing nothing about it. If men do not grow up, if we do not embody masculinity and push back against those who try to sweep it away, it will be lost forever. The world needs masculinity. It needs men. It also needs masculine men to start acting like it. Weakness cannot be tolerated. Only the strong can survive. Only the strong can fix what is broken. Okay, so see, I told you I'm fair. Never not say that. Or never say that I'm not. But the Critical Gender series is not over just yet. There is one more venture that must be explored. One that is leading to both of these causes. That is creating unbelievable confusion and suffering. That is leading to the dissolution of both the feminine and the masculine embodiment of the human race. Which is that of the unknown. So, on that note, guys, that is the post for this week. I was super excited to get that one done as well. Hopefully, uh, my female listeners, I believe I have more female listeners than guy listeners, actually, um, pay attention to that and basically say, like, oh, he's not some raging, like, you know, I don't know, like, men's rights activist or some stupid shit like that. But anyway, guys, that's my post for this week. I'm going to see you guys next week. We have the first conversation series of the year happening next week. I am super excited to reveal the guest and kind of go into the topic that we're going to explore. I'm actually 
was supposed to record it after this, but I'm not going to do this anymore because my voice is shot and I realize how much effort it takes to do one of these things. So I'm going to move it to next week. But first conversation series, the new year next week. Until then, guys, have a great weekend. Have a great week. Own the day. Open your mind. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?